And whether you're quarantined in the house or not, you still don't want your gym bag being all nasty. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure your stuff stays in check. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to your junk. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you're probably at home looking for something to do, why not make manscaping a part of your new routine? You don't want to look like you're sitting on Ming's shoulders from WCW, and you don't want Brutus the Barber Beefcake chomping away down there, and you dang sure don't want to use that Freebird hair removal cream. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with new and improved lawnmower 3.0, waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Your goods are going to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Inside the Perfect Package you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You're probably sitting on the couch like Al Bundy right now anyway, so you might as well keep everything smooth and fresh. Subscribe to the perfect package to get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer stays fresh and clean. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing manscaped boxer briefs this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off and free shipping with code slopdrop at manscaped.com that's slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the promo code slopdrop s-l-o-p-d-r-o-p That's a slot drop. I can answer that. That's a slot drop. What is that move? That's a slot drop. Slot drop time. That's a slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. Slot drop. The slot drop indeed. What's up, humanoids? Welcome back to the slot drop. This is Nathan Rogers at Woo Pig Sumo on Twitter, and we are joined by the voice of the Twin Lake Sports Network. The loose cannon, David McBee. What's up, man? Well, hopefully you can hear me okay. I don't have my headset this week because it's all packed away. We've been doing ball games. We've been in Yellville, Cotter, flipping all over the place. So uh, I'm going to be going without a headset, but hopefully you can hear me all right. I hear you just fine. Hey, shout out to the Space Cowboy Jason Jones, our correspondent at Mid-States Wrestling. He hosted an event at the training center and had WWE superstar Kelly Kelly, and we were able to ask a few questions. We asked her about training at OVW and any Paul Heyman stories, and then she told us about learning to dance for her Kelly Kelly character in WWE. So you went through Ohio Valley? Yeah. Who were your trainers there? Um, it was Danny. Danny uh, Davis. Well, Dan, yeah, he was the owner. But, um, was Cornette still there? Al Snow was our main trainer. Al Snow, yeah, and he has it now. Was Cornette still there at the time, or Heyman? No. Were they going in and out? Heyman had just, the ECW just started up, so he he was the one who brought me to ECW. Right. Yeah. Do you have a good Paul Heyman story? <laughs> we won't tell anybody. It's, it's just among friends right here. We won't tell anybody. Well, I just, it was um, I, probably the first interaction I ever had with him. He called me about the... 
about my character and what I was going to be doing when I was going into ECW. And he's like, well, we have this position and um, this character, you're going to be an exhibitionist. And (laughs) (laughs) mind you, I was 19 years old. I like had no idea what I was getting myself into. And he's like, yeah, you're going to basically like strip down um, and your jealous boyfriend's going to cover you up. And I just was like, well, Paul, I said, my grandma, like, my family's at home watching. Like, this is not how I want to get my foot in the door. And, you know, and he was like, it'll be fine. Trust me, you only have to do this for a few weeks. And I said, I have no dance history. He's like, it'll be fine. It was not fine. I was terrible. But, you know. We who, I thought it was great. Yeah. Well, I, I loved it. Well, who, was, <laughs> who was the boyfriend? Mike, Mike Knox. Knox. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Mr. Charismatic, right? Mr. Charisma. Yeah, he's a great guy. I've met him twice, but yeah. Um, so, was it was it hard to like get it to like the whole dancing stuff and whatever? Yeah. I know Bruce Pritchard talks about Vince just like, let me show you how to get in there, dance. Yeah, I mean, it, we was it nerve wracking? Yeah, because we we're on live television. Um, you know, I had a few hours to rehearse this dance for a minute on live TV, and I remember it was like Triple H, Hunter. Paul, they were all in the ring. We had rehearsal, and they were like showing me what they wanted me to do. <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is people. These are guys that I like used to grow up watching, and they're like showing me how to do like right. a script." That's pretty cool. It was pretty funny. <laughs> showing you how to script in front of people. Yeah. Also, we talked about becoming the first twenty-four-seven champion. First, I'm sorry, the first female twenty-four-seven champion, and defeating the legendary Gerald Briscoe. For you. Said you're gonna win the twenty-four-seven title. Um, and we, I, the second I saw him, he was just dying laughing. He was like, this is going to be hilarious. I can't wait. Because I worked with him um, when I started. He was a producer. So I've known Jerry for probably 13 years. Um, so it was really cool to be able to do that. And it's really cool that, you know, WWE calls me to come back all the time. And we have a great relationship. And, um, yeah, it was really, it was really cool. Uh, the 2019 Royal Rumble, her return. Took that match on five days' notice. A year, once every two years, just pop out, and um, the fans still and, <laughs> they are still excited. Then, so it makes me want to come back every time even more. So gotcha. um, we'll see. I like to say never say never. Um, it could be one of those calls. Like I've been booked to do, do backstage stuff, and they're within 24 hours. Sometimes they're like, "Hey, can you be in St. Louis tomorrow at noon?" You're oh, like. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So you never know. Oh, and I know. The Rumble, I only had, the, this year, they called me five days before. So you had five days to get ready. <laughs> yeah. uh, with the, is the door open for AEW with her Jacksonville roots? Uh, never say never yeah, about yeah. anything. Yep. I always keep the door open, so we'll see. Now, were you born and raised in Jacksonville? I was, yeah. So how long did you live in Jacksonville for? Until I was 19, until I had to move to Louisville and train. To, and train. And Arn Anderson, as she referred to him as Arnie during the interview so as far as like agents go i know you guys in wwe have different agents to work with did you ever get a chance to work with arn anderson yeah Arn, if you see i mean arn has a tremendous factor there's a satin jacket over there arn has been great to us um he gave my students nothing but praise and great advice when he got a chance to work with him so how was arn to work with pretty good oh arn is just amazing he was he was my arnie that's what i oh yeah Um, every time when I, you know, was lucky enough to have him as my producer um, on a match, right. he was so hands-on, so great. Um, he always wanted the women to shine, and he really put a lot of, you know, 100% effort into uh, our matches and, and wanting him to be good. 
Do you have a Michael P.S. Hayes impression? <laughs> Kelly, come on, girl. Do, do, do. You do it better than I would. Oh, good. You guys uh, like that. We're going to insert those sound bites. But Kelly Kelly, first female WWE 24-7 champion, former WWE Divas champion, Nickelodeon Choice Award for female butt kicker, and a Slammy Award winner. Is that Hall of Fame worthy? Kelly Kelly, of course, Tori Wilson last year inducted in the Hall of Fame zero championships man i i love kelly kelly it was awesome that she came to harrison uh that just cool for them to get to have an event man because it's been so hard for them to do things with all the junk going on with covid props to kelly kelly coming down she definitely won the coolest boots award uh you know <laughs> with her with her she was she was styling and profiling uh hall of fame first of all i disagree i love tori wilson tori and stacy you know back in the day Tori Wilson, I'm sorry, she shouldn't have been a Hall of Famer. I don't think Kelly Kelly should be a Hall of Famer, but if the criteria is going to be the same as Tori Wilson, she should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't. I think her her uh, her era was just so short, though, uh, and unfortunately, too, she was in that divas era that's kind of looked down a little bit on, and I don't think that's fair to her. But uh, props for her coming out. Appreciate her. I know the fans absolutely loved it. Space Cowboy Jason Jones, uh, you know, loved having her there. Wrestling fans just glad to have something to go to. And But, man, I just don't think she's Hall of Fame. But, I mean, you got Coco Beware in there. I mean, look at some of the people that's in the Hall of Fame. So the criteria is all over the place. I think we'll see her there someday. And I also think we'll see her somewhere else someday. I mentioned her Jacksonville roots. Of course, AEW is Jacksonville-based. And if the WWE don't snag her back up, which there was recent talk of that, I think Tony Khan maybe have that number and uh, maybe even on speed dial and give her a call. Well, I'll tell you what, if she goes to AEW, then she's probably definitely not going to the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that would be a great fit. She's in Jacksonville already. Tony Khan, I mean – you know, I, I think she would be a great valet with someone or even, you know, that women's division's a little thin there. Yeah, they brought in Rosa and a few others, but, I mean, that would be a completely different character than what they have there right now. Yeah, let's face it. Uh, AEW women's division is struggling. And she was trained to OVW by Al Snow and uh, several other name-worthy, noteworthy figures in wrestling. So, I mean, I would love to see that. And I think she would really boost that division. Yeah, I think, I mean, she brings name recognition right away. Uh, AEW, I mean, she could bolster that division. That division has been really flat until Thunder Rosa showed up. When Thunder Rosa, she brought, you know, so, some of the best matches, just in the couple matches she's done. Uh, she really changed that division up quite a bit. You bring a Kelly Kelly in there, name recognition, people are going to recognize uh, you know, have her have her form a stable with uh, Dr. Britt Baker. I mean, could you imagine those two? Uh, I think that'd be pretty sweet. Uh, but, yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But we'll be back over at the Mid-States Gym eventually, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Someone else they need to have on speed dial is Miranda Gordy. She is really tearing up the indie scene right now. And if MLW or ROH or AEW don't give her a call, something is bad wrong. Man, just uh, last week, article online talking about the top five talents that they should sign right now in the WWE. Well, it said WWE or AEW top five talents, independent talents they could sign. 
They had Miranda Gordy on that list at number four. And look how far she's come in a year. I mean, she's really been wrestling just a little over a year. But, you know, she had a great match against Thunder Rosa at the Jerry Lawler 50th anniversary. And Miranda Gordy's legit. She's going to be a star. She's one to keep an eye out for. Someone's going to snag her up. And uh, we got to get her back on the slob drop before she hits it too big. Yeah, before she gets too big and forgets us. You know, we've, we've been with you since day one, Miranda. Don't forget us. Well, 21 years ago this week, WWF No Mercy, October 17th, 1999, from the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio, about 18,752 in attendance. Commentators was good old JR, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler. Beautiful Gund Arena in downtown Cleveland, Ohio is sold out as we prepare for No Mercy, the World Wrestling Federation on pay-per-view. Hello again, everybody. I'm Jim Ross here at ringside alongside the King, Jerry Lawler. And this was prime WWF Attitude Era. It was hot. And uh, this was a, this was a good show. I mean, really, that 98, 99, 2000, they were prime. 2001, it would start to slow down a little bit. But, you know, the thing that really stood out to me is when they opened up the show, the signs. I, I couldn't see any people. All you saw was signs everywhere. It was crazy. Uh, brought back some really good memories. This is when wrestling was, you know, it was a special time. WWF champions going into this event. The world champion was Triple H. Intercontinental champion was Jeff Jarrett, which we will get to later on in this show. Tag team champs was The Rock and Mick Foley, The Rock and Sock Connection. Women's champ was Ivory. This was only 11 days after the death of Gorilla Monsoon and only 12 days after the departure of Vince Russo, who packed up and headed to WCW. And this event, you know, for a lot of, you know, I really don't remember a lot about the event except for when you said Jeff Jarrett. Something happened at this event that would become infamous, and we're going to talk about it tonight. Actually, a couple of history-making moments during this event. 330,000 pay-per-view buys. Uh, as mentioned earlier, a sellout crowd of over 18,000. $17,430 paid at the gate. I'm sorry. People paid at the gate. $478,156 made at the gate money-wise. An additional 130000 over that in March sales. So just this event in Cleveland alone was over $600,000. And that, that doesn't include those pay-per-view buys, but the raw before you mentioned a prime attitude era, the raw before this, the go home show 6.1 on TV, as opposed to Nitro's 2.6. The night after this on raw did a 5.4 Nitro did a 3.3 first match of the night. The Godfather defeated Midian a little over seven minutes by pinfall with a roll up. Here comes the whole train. Get up. Get up. Oh. Uh oh. There's a cradle. One, two. We got it. We got it. These two had a, uh, a little run in the week before on SmackDown, which led to this match. Godfather, a Hall of Famer. Midian was Dennis Knight, a.k.a. Phineas Godwin, a.k.a. Tex Slazenger. Well, I mean, it was what it was for the opener, but the Godfather, I mean, he was, he was over in this era. And uh, he had completely rebuilt his career from Kama Mustafa, the ultimate fighting machine, to, to the Godfather. I never really dug the good father character after that. But, I mean, this was when, you know, he would have the train going and he always had that crowd in the palm of his hand. And uh, it was, I mean, it was a solid opening match. But you mentioned earlier about the ratings. 
you know, people still, you know, they say the Monday Night War goes from 95 to 2001. By the time this event was coming in 99, the Monday Night War was done. WWF was destroying WCW. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, when this event happened, I, I remember, you know, getting, reading in one of the magazines. We actually used to read paper magazines back in the day, wrestling magazines. Those are worth some money these days. Too bad I, I threw them all away. Always, you know, I'd go shopping in Walmart, and what I'd do is I would walk around while my wife's grocery shopping. I'm like, I gotta read the whole magazine by the time she's done. I don't even know what she was throwing in the cart. I'm just reading everything. But I remember they had just announced, you know, Vince Russo and switched sides, and you know, he was the one who made the Attitude Era. So it was really interesting to see where the WWF was going to go. And I think you could see by this show and the shows after it, they were just fine. And, of course, he would go to WCW, and we all know what happened there. But, uh, I mean, solid opening match. Midian uh, just never really got over in that character, in my opinion. Uh, I do like the Phineas Godwin character just because of their finishing move. I love the finishing move. I like the version of the Godwins where they were, like, dark, twisted hillbillies. Not the goofy hillbilly gym stuff, but they changed their theme song at one time, and it was more of a, a, little, a little edgier and darker and they come out of these like psychotic hillbillies. I actually dug that, but I really dug uh, the finishing maneuver, maneuver, which is the slop drop. Well, man, they were like they were like the Deliverance Godwins. There's the the hillbilly uh, Godwins, and then you got the Deliverance Godwins. Yeah. And you got to watch her. You can squeal like a pig if they get the right hold on. They show a vignette of what led to the main event match between Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ivory cut a promo backstage on Moolah and Mae Young. Care about Moolah's history. I mean, Lord knows there's enough of it to fill an encyclopedia. Listen, those two old ladies, Moolah and Mae Young, obviously have a trouble remembering things because they haven't been able to find their way back to the home. Well, I am here tonight to deliver a message that they will not be able to forget. I am the real, the one and only women's WWF champion. They're never going to be able to forget it when I'm done with them which leads to the second match. The fabulous Moolah defeated Ivory in two minutes and 50 seconds. Uh-oh, Moolah, the roll-up. No, no, she got it. Moolah, wait a minute. Hold it. Moolah has upset Ivory. What the hell is it? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Anything can happen in the WWE. By pinfall with a roll-up to become the new WWF Women's Champion, this made Moolah the oldest women's champion in WWE history and was Moolah's first pay-per-view match since the 1987 Survivor Series. Moolah and Mae Young had uh, beat up Ivory the previous pay-per-view, which is what led to this match. Well, Moolah and Mae Young, I mean, that's unbelievable. They were still over, and they were involved in some pretty uh, memorable storylines during the Attitude Era, including one that involved a hand. But, I mean... Uh, you know, that was the thing about the Attitude Era. You never knew what was going to happen. They were trying shock value. What's more shocking than having a 70-year-old win the women's hey, championship? Yeah. Uh, May Young, 2008 Hall of Famer, passed away in 2014, taking bumps in her 80s. That is crazy. You've took a bump in the ring. You're nowhere near 80, but you know how that feels on your young statuesque body. Imagine being an 80-year-old woman out there taking bumps. I took a couple little back bumps and I was like, I was like popping, 
um, pills for the next week just trying to get back, man. I was all over those ibuprofens and stuff for about a week. I couldn't even imagine. You know, she had, they had the Dudleys put her through a table. I mean, some of the crazy things that, that May and Mula did uh, together, I mean, just absolutely unbelievable some of the things that they could do. But uh, Ivory, you know, you mentioned Ivory. Ivory was a pretty good uh, performer back in the day. And I, I know I was listening to Stone Cold podcast. Stone Cold actually – out of all the divas and ladies that was there, he had a thing for uh, Ivory. Uh, so, you know, interesting. But, you know, if I remember right, I think Ivory, was she one of the original Glow Girls? Uh, possibly. I, I believe you're right. Yeah, and I just heard Glow got canceled on Netflix, which I think that's a load of crap. I like that show. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Ivory, you know, she was uh, back to the original women's era with yeah. – Glow coming out. and uh, I don't remember her name in Glow, but I believe you're correct on that. Yeah, I think she performed under something else. I can't remember what the character's name was, but uh, uh, she was she was pivotal, pivotal for this uh, women's era. Mula, 95 Hall of Famer, passed away in 2007. Controversial past and the focus of an episode from the Dark Side of the Ring, which uh, I urge everybody to check that out. I believe that was in season one. Ivory, you mentioned a three-time WWE Women's Champion 2018 Hall of Famer. Three Hall of Famers here, but unfortunately, it just was not a Hall of Fame match. I mean, you couldn't expect it to be much of one, but it was filler. It was shock value. And, uh, I mean, at that time, that's what it was all about. It was about shock. New Age Outlaws come out and do their pre-match hype, and the Cleveland crowd was lit for this. You didn't know? You're a cool. Always like to kick that shiznit doggy style. Now then, just for fun, let's see if we can't make a little noise up in the gun. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D-Generation X proudly brings to you its former WWF Tag Team Champions of the World. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you! This led to the third match, Crash and Hardcore Holly defeated the New Age Outlaws by DQ, a little over 10 minutes. Hardcore Holly grabbing a steel chair here, shoving it into his cousin. Oh, my God! The famous one! On the chair! Right on the chair, face first! What's happening? Wait a minute. The winners of this belt as a result of a disqualification. Oh, look, the referee saw the chair! Oh, the referee saw the Famouser on the chair! Before Holly slid a chair into the ring, but Billy Gunn uh, hit the Famouser on, uh, on crash onto it, causing the ref to call for the DQ. Holly's cost the New Age Outlaws the tag titles in a match against uh, Rock and Salt Connection on SmackDown, which is what led to this match. Crash Holly died just four years after this. He was found at the home of Stevie Richards in what was believed to be suicide by overdose. And, uh, you know, Crash Holly, I was just watching, I think it was WrestleMania 18 the other day. It was 17 or 18. And uh, I think he won or lost the hardcore title about five times during that event. So he ended up being like a 20-time hardcore champion. And then Hardcore Holly, I mean, I liked him a lot better. And this character is Hardcore Holly instead of that uh, crazy <laughs> uh, race car driver that he was. Sparky before. Plug. 
Yeah, Sparky Blue, but the New Age Outlaws, and they people don't realize, if you didn't watch it, how much they were over. And when Road Dog would come out and said, oh, you didn't know? I mean, that crowd was hype. I mean, that was just as big as hearing the glass crash and a lot of other things. Uh, they were they were the most over-tag team, uh, I think, in the early Attitude Era. Well, we saw one woman make WWE history earlier in the card, Mula. About to see another one. China defeated Jeff Jarrett by pinfall. the new WWF Intercontinental Champion in a good housekeeping match, which was basically a Falls Count Anywhere hardcore match where only household items were legal weapons. And I put the emphasis on only there uh, for a reason. But uh, Jarrett grabbed the Intercontinental title and hit China. Uh, goes for the three count, but the match had to continue because the Intercontinental title was technically not a household item. Jarrett not happy, knocks Teddy Long, who's the referee to the ground, or to the mat, rather, goes for the figure four, but then China nails Jarrett with his guitar, which was Jarrett's household item, mind you. Uh, Long allowed it, makes the pin, and makes China the new and the first and the only female Intercontinental Champion in WWE history. Well, China, of course, just a trailblazer. I mean, this era, too, she was over. Watch some of the old WrestleManias from this time, the pop that she was getting. Uh, you know, just completely over. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, of course, you know, I really like this reinvention of Jarrett. When he first came back to the WWF again, I think it was late 97, you know, he still had the ponytail, still had the hair, still had this, you know, the, I don't know what in the world the outfit was. Yeah, the, the straps. Yeah, like the Chippendales outfit. Whoever told Jarrett that was a good outfit should just be fired. I mean, come on, it was so dated. But then he ended up changing his character. And, you know, he started going with this whole slap nuts character with the guitar and all that kind of stuff, got his hair cut. And then he really, you know, changed his character. And he was, you know, getting over in the WWF. Now, you know, this, uh, this was famous because, you know, not really the match was the big story, but what happened backstage. Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. I mean, this has really become legendary. As you're alluding to, Jarrett's WWF contract had actually expired the day before at midnight. The day before, Jarrett agreed to drop the Intercontinental title on his way out the door, but only if Vince McMahon paid Jarrett all of the pay-per-view bonus money he was owed up front rather than months down the line as uh, was standard back then. And uh, the very next night, Jarrett appears on WCW Nitro well, you know, he was going where Russo was going. And uh, I don't blame him going to WCW because I'm sure the pay was a lot more. And he knew he was going to get a push because his buddy was going there. He became the world champ over there. Yeah, became the world champ multiple times. You know, broke a thousand guitars, never drew a dime though in WCW. But, I mean, you know, whoever the guy was who kept – you know, records on contracts coming due. And I don't know, was that JR that dropped the ball on it? Or someone I've, dropped the ball. And I got to tell you, you know, Vince had to be pissed. 
I, I recently heard a thing with Jr. and he had a handshake deal with Jerry Jarrett. Uh, there and, you uh, go, right there. Uh, so uh, they had kind of had a handshake deal, and uh, they were to sign the contract the day of this pay per view, and of course they did not sign, uh, but he ended up. Doing uh, the honors, I guess you could say, but not without getting paid first. Well, if you think about it, the WWF had all this controversy late 97 with the Montreal Screwjob. So you think after that they would say, hey, anyone whose contracts come and do, let's not put a belt on them. I mean, you think that would be common sense, right? Hey, his contract's come and do. Well, until he signs the contract, why don't we take the belt off of him? I mean, it could have yeah. been easy. They could have had him lose the belt, you know, a, a week earlier or something like that. And, uh, you know, to at least put themselves in a better position. But I know after this, there's never been anything like that again. And I think WWE probably learned their, you know, they learned from the mistake. But Jeff yeah. Jarrett, when I heard it was $250,000 he walked away with that night. And, Jared, uh, yeah, a multiple champion, 2018 Hall of Famer. And never say never in pro wrestling because he is back with the WWE today behind the scenes. Well, Jared, you know, he would go on – he would have a pretty solid wrestling career. To, what I've always been really amazed with, look at the talent that he helped create during his time at TNA. And I know I bashed TNA. I bashed Dixie Carter. There's only one TNA fan or Impact fan in the world, and that's R.W. Hardy, you know. But look at the talent that he built up there. Bobby Roode, you know. Uh James Storm, Samoa AJ Joe, Kyle, Samoa Joe, all those Christopher guys. Christopher Daniels. Yeah, I mean, he built up some great talent, and and he did a great job there. I think he's going to do a great job with the WWE, and what I've heard, he has done a pretty good job. And I'm glad to see him turn his life around because I know he had some issues, uh, you know, alcoholism and things like that. I think he's he's made it through all that. It was incredible. I never thought he'd make the WWE Hall of Fame, but never say never in pro wrestling. He's back, and Jarrett, you know, congratulations to, to him. I mean, he got some money on it, and I think now my phone's ringing. So, so uh, see, actually, that was the FCC. They were calling, so said our, they said, don't make fun of Jarrett. Don't make fun of R.W. Hardy or come after you. Speaking so, of no, Hall I love R.W., you know, Impact, I'm glad they have a fan. Speaking of Hall of Fame, China, you mentioned the exact words I've got wrote down here, a trailblazer, a history maker, 2019 WWE Hall of Famer as a member of DX. She needs to be in on her own merit. Uh, passed away in 2016. Yeah, she should be in her own merit. I mean, she, I mean, she was never a fantastic worker. You know, let's let's not pull any punches. She wasn't the best worker ever, but you know, she had that crowd all for her and uh, just did a tremendous job. And she needs to be recognized as an individual performer. Go in, and uh, you know, she had some matches too with Jericho, Eddie Guerrero. And, you know, for a couple-year period there, she really took the uh, women's wrestling to a whole new level, competing with the guys, competing at the Royal Rumble. And, uh, you know, it's one that we just gone way too soon, another one of those. And that's, that's why I hate when we do these shows from the late 90s because there's so many of these people gone. You've already talked about Crash Holly and, and then her and, uh, you know, just gone too soon. But legend. She was a legend. About to mention another one. Fifth match of the night, The Rock defeats the British Bulldog by pinfall after a rock bottom and a people's elbow. The Rock's too left behind. The guy. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. Oh, boy. The Rock counter into the Rock bottom. I knew The Rock could do it. And you know what's coming next? 
Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, is set to be inducted in the 2020 Hall of Fame. Thanks, COVID. Not sure when that's going to happen now. Uh, the Rock, an absolute, definite, surefire uh, future Hall of Famer. But uh, honestly, this was not a great match. But, you know, still uh, it had that freaking 90s crowd goes wild vibe, and I still enjoyed it. Yeah, well, the uh, Bulldog, unfortunately, he just wasn't the same Bulldog. Like, 92 SummerSlam, that era had kind of passed. He had bad back problems because of some stupid, you know, let's put a trap door for the ultimate warrior and destroy Davy Boy Smith's back. I mean, they just killed his career. And he came back to the WWF, but you just tell he just wasn't the same. Uh, you know, The Rock, The Rock is The Rock, man. He is the man. This was his era. Uh if this match, if you would add a 92 Davy Boy taking on, you know, The Rock from this era, diff completely different story. Unfortunately, it just wasn't the same after his WCW run. Sixth match of the night in the very first ever tag team ladder match in WWF history. The New Brood, which was the Hardys, Matt and Jeff Hardy, defeated Christian and Edge in a little over 16 minutes. We've seen a lot of great ladder matches, as, as I was about to say, but none ever in a, in a tag team environment. This is the first. You're seeing it here tonight. Oh, no. At no mercy. Jeff Hardy, the ladder teetering. Edge went down. Christian went down. Got the money. Wait. Show me the money. He, can't get, he got it. Oh, no. Got the money. The Hardys have they won the match. Believe it. the most amazing displays I have ever seen in my life. CIT. The Terry Invitational Tournament. This was the finals of the Terry Invitational Tournament. TIT. Uh, of course, the King had had a lot of fun with that. Um, after Jeff Hardy leaped from one ladder to the another, uh, retrieved a sack containing $100,000, they win the match and the services of Terry Reynolds. Uh, of course, they celebrate backstage. The Hardys as the new brood. We've said this time after time. Anything that says the new in it does not work. Uh, Matt, of course, in AEW right now. Jeff still in WWE. Edge, a multiple champion and Hall of Famer. In fact, uh, 2012 Hall of Famer, made his return in 2020, but thanks 2020, uh, got injured again, and now he's on the shelf again. Christian, Hall of Fame credentials, but not in the Hall of Fame. Well, it's because Vince doesn't like Christian. That's always been the rumor. I love Christian. I thought uh, some of his best work, uh, you know, would actually come later as a single star. I thought he did some really good things as a single star. And then when he initially went to TNA, you know, as an NWA champion, I thought they did a great job there. Uh, Christian, all four of them should be in the Hall of Fame. All four of them are legends. All four of them, you watch some of the bumps they take. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the bumps that they would take was just on sparring. And now you watch an episode of AEW and they're taking those bumps and not even getting a three count on it. So I, I think that a lot of the wrestlers today model themselves after, you know, that those, those particular wrestlers. And, uh, but I mean, they were just tremendous and they were the future of the WWE the next 10 years after this, they were setting the tone. This was so special, especially for this first time ever. But when you see it every week on Wednesday night, it just, it's not a special that waters it down. Yeah, I mean, you know, because, yeah, you'll see it. Some of the bumps the guys take now, and I'm not trying to criticize AEW, but, you know, well, actually, I am. I mean, seriously, some of the, the bumps that they do now, you know, if you, you would see an edge in a Christian and the Hardys, you know, hey, that's going to be a finisher. The match is over. Now you see it where basically you got to kill a guy to pin him. 
You know, there's never a, the very first pin they're going to get or they hit their finisher and that goes, you got to hit three or four finishers. In a couple of years, it'll be, you got to hit 10 finishers. Uh, you know, it's just gone on too far. But for this match, these guys, this was, I thought it was booked really well. I thought the finish was really well. The, the Terry Ronalds thing I could have done without, but you know, it's funny listening to King. Uh, he was definitely putting it over. Uh, the Rock comes out, cuts an in-ring promo challenging the winner of uh, the main event between Triple H and Stone Cold. Finally, The Rock has come back to Cleveland. Now, The Rock says this, is he's got a little challenge in mind, and that challenge goes to the winner of tonight's main event. The Great One does not care if it's Triple H. The Great One does not care if it is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And when... The match is made, the match is done, and The Rock stands dead smack in the middle of the people's ring, the WWF champion. Then all The Rock's fans, the millions of The Rock's fans, let the people's champ know all by chanting at one time The Rock's name. And when it's all said and done, all the smoke is cleared, all the dust had settled, the Rock's fans in one loud voice say, Rock, you are the people's champ, the people's choice, and the WWF champion. If you smell what the Rock is On his way back up the ramp, Triple H comes out and attacks him with a sledgehammer. Seventh match of the night, Val Venus defeats Mankind by pinfall in a little over nine minutes. There's Taco. Oh, no. But little Val. Val's got. Val, he's got me to Rocco. Oh. Mankind with Taco. It's Rocco and Taco. Here we go. The Rocco and Taco. What a double claw. There's the Rock and Sock connection for the real. The mandible claw and the testicular claw. Oh. And Val went south with his. Who's going to win out here, JR? The north or the south? Mankind is fading from the man, the testicular claw, and Val Venus has got the three. Mankind uh, puts Val Venus in the mandible claw. Val pulled out a sock of his own and grabbed Mick by the balls, putting him in the testicular claw. Mick somewhat passes out, falls to the mat with his shoulders down, allowing Val to get the three count. After the match, uh, Mankind beats up on the big Val Boski and gets a little free publicity for his book, which was out at the time. Mankind, a Hall of Famer. Val Venus working at a marijuana dispensary. Val Venus, right there, baby. Had to show my Val Venus picture to those people that aren't listening. So uh, I love Val Venus, man. I thought his character was total attitude era. I really forgot he got a pinfall over Mick Foley during this prime Foley run. And uh, of course, Foley wasn't far away from being retired, but. Uh, uh, Val Venus, I thought he could have always done more. He never kind of got past that intercontinental level. But, I mean, his characters, his promos, you know, when he would say, hello, ladies, you would hear the crowd. Eighth match of the night, X-Pac wins a four-corners elimination match against Bradshaw, Farouk, and Kane after hitting an X-Factor on Farouk. X-Pac defend himself here. Yes! Oh! X-Pac made the adjustment. There was the X-Factor. Farouk went face first. He's got him. He's got him. Oh! X-Pac and Farouk were a tag team at the time, the Acolytes. Kane and X-Pac were also a weird combination tag team at the time, so I'm not quite sure 
Suck it. While they had two tag teams facing each other in an every man for himself elimination match, why not just have a tag match? But to me, this didn't make a whole lot of sense. Everyone in this match was a Hall of Famer except for Kane, but we know he's going to be. Yeah, Kane's going in. X-Pac, severely underrated. Could you imagine X-Pac in today's era of wrestling? You know, he would never get past that intercontinental level because they're always like, hey, he's too small, he's too small. Now, I mean, he was a great worker, entertaining. Uh, you know, had a lot of X-Pac heat back in the day. But, you know, I always loved X-Pac. His promo the night after WrestleMania 14 when he talked to, about Bischoff and said what he thought about Bischoff. I mean, so much passion. Uh, you know, all, all four of them, Hall of Famers. Main event, Triple H defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin in a little under 22 minutes to retain the world title after The Rock interfered and accidentally hit Austin with a sledgehammer. Triple H then hit the pedigree on The Rock and then pins Austin. What the heck is that? It's The Rock! Rock got the sledgehammer! Oh, oh Rock hit Austin! He was aiming for Helmsley! The Rock is hurt in pedigree! Helmsley got The Rock with a pedigree! But The Rock hit in front of him, Austin! No! No! He chases Triple H away but escapes in a vehicle thanks to China's help. This was Austin's first match back in two months. Yeah, and I mean, Triple H, I mean, look how far he had come where, you know, you got him beating Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, you know, he went from Shawn Michaels' lackey to now he was a legitimate, you know, world champion contender who completely turned his career around. Uh, you know, The Rock, I mean, just the star power there. I mean, how could you go wrong with a main event where you have three of probably the greatest world champions of all time? And that was, that's why they won the Monday Night Wars. Main events like this just destroyed WCW. They couldn't compete where you got on the other side, you got, oh, you know, Hogan taking on Jeff Jarrett. And then you got on their side, Rock, Austin, and Triple H. I mean, just a star power. Uh, and that's why WWF was on a roll and destroying WCW. That was it, man. Do you have a uh, favorite segment or a match? I mean, you got to go with the main event. I mean, anytime you got Austin in 99, 98, or you got The Rock and you got Triple H, I mean, that's hard to, to compete with that. So that's got to be my favorite. Overall, thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs in the middle? I think I'm probably on this one. I'm still pro I'm probably going to go thumbs up just because it wasn't the best wrestling, but, man, it was freaking entertaining and the crowd was hot. And what I would I would love to be able to have crowds like that nowadays. I'm going thumbs up, man. Um, you know, history making moments. Mula becoming the oldest woman. China becoming the first woman to the IC title. The Hardys, Edge and Christian, the first ever tag team ladder match. And then Hall of Famers out the Wazoo, man. And then the triple the, the main event alone, Triple H and The Rock and Austin. I really enjoyed it, and I give it a thumbs up. Yeah, it was just – it was prime WWF. And, man, that's crazy to think. 21 years. Wow. That about wraps it up. Follow us on Facebook at The Slop Drop, on Twitter at The Slop Drop 1, wherever you get your podcast, we are there. Leave us a good rating and a good review. Again, as always, thank you guys for listening. And until next time, we are out of here. We love you, R.W. Hardy, just not Impact Wrestling. Goodbye and good night. Yeah.